0: into hiding they were not thinking the Taliban found the other three families they killed mother father children even down to the babies and so I went to my staff and I said guys we're going into wartime operations and one week later five former Navy SEALs would fly in three former Marines all special forces one Army Green Beret and one brother with the CIA and we planned operations into Afghanistan after that we would send in two teams simultaneously the first one would fly in at a chopper and landed about 12,000 feet. We deployed Marines and SEALs. I went with the second team, guys, and we were in the same country, but by land, we were 20 miles by traveling land apart where we were going, and we were told we were going to climb 2,000, maybe at the most 4,000 feet uh, to get to our location, but we ended up having to climb to 11,500 feet to get to our location, and Once we got up there, we launched our drones, and what we're looking for is what's called a rat line. A rat line is an escape route of how to get people out of a country, and uh, truly the most difficult climb I've ever made in my life, and I think all the other guys felt the same way. Uh, When we got off the mountain, guys, there literally are no trails on this mountain. Uh, They have an animal called an ibex. It's a very rare mountain goat, and maybe 5% of the mountain has what's called an ibex trail which is about six inches. And if you miss uh, a foot, you literally fall a thousand feet and you die. I was coming down the side of one mountain. All of a sudden, I began to hear sliding behind me. I didn't have time to think about it. And I just reached back and I grabbed and I caught our interpreter just before he went off the side of the mountain. And uh, when we got off the mountain, all of our toenails were black with the blood that was under them uh, from the difficulty of that climb. I actually lost two toenails on the mountain. Fortunately, Mine grew back, sometimes they don't. We had one brother by the name of Rodney. Rodney was with the Elite, uh, SEAL Team 6, 22 years with the SEALs, 12 years with SEAL Team 6, and 13 years with the CIA. And he lost three on that mountain. So that gives you uh, an understanding of the difficulty of that climb that we went through there. And uh, then God began to really start to do miracles. We got a call from a uh, YWAM Youth with a Mission. They said, our country director is in the city of Maz. The Taliban knows he's there. They're going door to door. They're gonna find this kid within two hours. And guys, they had written a letter to him before the collapse of Afghanistan. Very graphic letter. They said, we're gonna butcher you. We're gonna slaughter you. There's no forgiveness. You're a traitor to Islam. And when they called me and told me that they were within two hours of finding him, I said, guys, two hours is not a lot of time. You should have got a hold of us a long time before this. Fortunately, on my staff, I have uh, Luke. Luke spent uh, 14 years in the Marines. He was in Special Forces. 22 years with the FBI, counterterrorism. Uh, Luke speaks fluent Arabic in multiple dialects. He's tested at genius level. Plus, he's got a good grasp of four or five of the languages. And I had Brent, who was also on my staff. Brent was with 2nd Force Recon, which is the elite of the Marine Corps Special Forces. And I said, guys, do we have any assets in this part of the world? And I believe that we're able to get a hold of some Pakistani mercenaries. And an hour later, they pulled up at the door. They grabbed the kid. They got him out of there. An hour later, Taliban showed up at the door. Had we not got there, they would have killed him. Then we got a call from Heather Mercer. Some of you might remember her. Very famous missionary, was imprisoned by the Taliban back in 2000, was released in 2001 when U.S. forces went in there. And Heather called up and said that she had— 26 people in country, all believers, all would be killed for their faith and asked if we would help them. So we put together an operational team. We went in and we got all, all of those people out. Uh, but the one that surprised me the most is we got a call from Shannon Spann. Uh, Shannon Spann's husband, Mike Spann, was the first CIA officer killed in Afghanistan back in 2001. And guys, I remember it like it was yesterday, because it really troubled me. Uh, They had trusted an honor system with the Taliban, which I knew could not be trusted. And uh, Mike had been in the Marine Corps. He was in Special Forces. He was recruited by the CIA. Shannon was also recruited by the CIA. They met at the farm, which is the training base. They fell in love, got buried, and they had three kids. So when they went in there, they went in with the Alpha team, which was the first team to go into Afghanistan. And uh, Janet had called our office, and uh, she told us that she had 28 people in country. They were not believers, but they'd helped the U.S. government, and they would all be killed for their faith. Uh, for their service to the U.S. government. I was not in the office at the time. Brent called me up. He took the phone call, and so he goes, what do you want to do, brother? I said, let's green light the operation. We put together an operational team, and we went and got all of them out. Now, the amazing thing about what happened with this, guys, is that uh, uh, Shannon is a very godly woman, and uh, she said that when Afghanistan began to collapse because of her connections within the CIA, She was getting a tremendous amount of people out. But when the last U.S. aircraft left, she said, I could not get a single person out of Afghanistan. And one night she was walking around and she was praying and she was extremely troubled by it. And she said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, Shannon, why are you going to the world? Why are you not going to my people? And she said, Lord, I don't know who you want me to call. Well, the Lord gave her a name of a gentleman by the name of Bob Shank. I personally do not know him, but I understand that he wrote the master's program And uh, Bob said, Shannon, you need to call Far-Reaching Ministries. And she did. Well, guys, after she called us, she went and read our website. And if you're not a believer, and you don't understand the things of Christianity, and you read our website, it's a little bit hard to understand, guys. I mean, we probably look a little bit more like something like Blackwater than we do a foreign mission organization. We're involved in five different wars around the world, plus we're fighting the cartels in South America. And so Shannon called up. Bob and she said, "Bob, who is Wes Bentley? Who is Brent? Who is Far-reaching Ministries? Is Shannon? Uh, if my family were in Afghanistan, these are the men that I would want to go and get them." Well, one of the great things about that guys is Shannon has become a part of our staff now. And what we were lacking in the intelligence world, she made up for. We pretty much had the military experience. We had a lot of the intelligence, but not to the level that we needed. With Shannon, that's been completely completed. She can walk into any CIA station office in the world and get information for us, which she does on a regular basis. And it's been a great help to us. Uh, The Central Intelligence Agency, when they pulled out of Afghanistan, the 28 people they left behind were their people. And uh, she actually just recently had a meeting with the director, and he, wa- he, sa- he asked her, he said, how is it that we are in charge of counterintelligence if we cannot get anybody out of Afghanistan? And yet this Christian organization got so many people out. She actually called me up and said, the director wants to know your name. Do you-, do you mind if I give it to him? I said, you know, Shannon, I'm pretty sure if the director wants to know who I am, I'm pretty sure that he can find out. So you can go ahead and give him my name. Now, the amazing thing about this, guys, you know, when we try to explain this to people in the world, they don't really get it because when you say, well, how did you do it? We say, well, you have to understand what it means to walk with and trust Jesus Christ and to seek his wisdom because that's really how it's happened. As of about the 29th of February, we have extracted over 1,850 people out of Afghanistan so far. The problem is is we have over 3,500 more requests to get people out of Afghanistan. And there's nobody left. All foreign governments have pulled out. The U.S. pulled out very quickly. And from our understanding, if there is any humanitarian organizations over there, they're not getting any people out. And uh, we really do not know how much longer we can continue to do this. So please pray that God would give us wisdom in this part of the world. It was interesting because uh, Shannon is uh, good friends with a New York Times bestselling author, Uh, he wrote the movie 12 Strong. Uh, Probably a lot of you have seen this movie. And uh, he called Shannon up on the phone. He said, Shannon, he goes, "Uh, what is in it for far-reaching ministries? And she goes, nothing. He goes, no, you got to tell me. He goes, I've been watching all organization, both Christian and secular. Everybody out there is advertising themselves. They're trying to get on the news. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to raise a lot of support except for far-reaching ministries. They're a ghost. You don't hear anything about them. He goes, what is in it for them? And she goes, there's nothing in it for him. They love the Lord. Now, he's not a believer, guys, but from a non-believer's perspective, he looked at her and he said, you know, it's kind of like Jesus turning over the money changer tables. And guys, if that's all we receive in eternity, it's enough for me to know that we've touched this one man's life for Christ. Um One of my favorite people in the Word of God is the prophet Jeremiah. And there's a lot of reasons I like the prophet Jeremiah, guys. Jeremiah is very unique among prophets of the Lord. He's not only a prophet of the Lord, but he's a priest of the Lord. And what is unique about that, there were only three prophets in the Old Testament that were priests. It was Jeremiah, Zechariah, and Ezekiel. And the job of the priest is to bring people into close fellowship with their God. Well, for 40 to 50 years, Jeremiah labors to get the children of Israel to come And repent and come back to their God. And for 40 years they reject it. And God sends the Babylonian Empire in and crushes them and takes them off into exile for 70 years. And guys, I suspect that Jeremiah might have looked at his life and felt like he had failed. He was known as the weeping prophet. Matter of fact, God told Jeremiah, You're never to marry in this life because the trouble that's going to come on Israel is that the women of Israel will lie dead in the streets, they will not be buried. And he was telling about what was going to happen when the Babylonian Empire. And he told Jeremiah that he could not marry. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. A lot of people who don't understand Scripture think that he might have been bipolar because he had such highs and such lows. But he would go through great trouble in his life where he was greatly afflicted. And there were times in Jeremiah's life, guys, that he just had it. He just felt like he could not do it anymore. And yet God was very, very strict with Jeremiah You know, there was a time in his life that Jeremiah had just got to the end of himself and he goes, Lord, I, I just cannot do this anymore. And what God says to Jeremiah, he doesn't say, Jeremiah, you've served for 40 years. You're almost finished with the race. Just hang in. That's not what he says at all. But he says, Jeremiah, if the foot soldiers have wearied you, how will you handle mounted horsemen? In the example that he's giving him in the time of old, when armies would go out to fight, at first would come the foot soldiers. They would have chain mail, battle armor, shields, battle shields, axes, swords, spears. But then would come the heavy cavalry guys, and they would be massive men on massive horses covered in armor, and they would come charging at you with these long lances. And that time, it must have been a very terrifying thing. But what God says to Jeremiah, is, Jeremiah, if the foot soldier has made you weary, what are you going to do when the mounted horseman's coming? And basically, what he's telling Jeremiah is buck up and be strong. Now, guys, one of the things about Jeremiah, though, Jeremiah would have great fruit. He would just never live to see it. So for many of you that have been out there serving your whole life, trying to reach someone for Christ, and you feel like you've not seen any fruit, it may come after your life is over with. The thing that God looks for is faithfulness in the believer. See, out of Jeremiah's life would come Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Out of his life would come the prophet Daniel. Out of his life would come Ezekiel. And when King Nebuchadnezzar built a golden altar and commanded that the whole world bow down and worship it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do it. And they realize that Nebuchadnezzar has the power of life and death over them. And Nebuchadnezzar must have had a fondness for these men because he comes up to him, he said, listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe you didn't understand the order. So next time you hear the tambourines and the cymbals, if you bow down and worship, everything will be okay. But if not, you're going to be thrown into the burning furnace. And these guys know that he has the ability to kill them, but they had seen what happened when a nation rejected their God, and they answer King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, our God has the ability to deliver us, but whether he delivers us or not, we will not bow down to your God. And then the Bible tells us that they were thrown into the fairy furnace, and God delivered them, and an entire generation knew who the living God is. Guys, just a few years ago, they found a piece of pottery in ancient Babylon and on it they had the words Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego once again proving that the Bible is real. You know I show people this all the time but you can actually look up on the internet of the Red Sea and you can find Pharaoh's chariots in the Red Sea. You can actually see them. They're there. And so it's important to know that what we believe is a truth there. Guys, 70 years later, it will be Daniel's turn. And once again, Daniel was required to worship a false God. Once again, Daniel refuses to do it. And guys, if you know anything about the lions of Babylon, uh, there's a set of commentaries I really like to read. It's called the early church fathers. They were people that lived like 300 to 600 years after Christ, which they have a lot of knowledge that we don't have today. One of the things that they said about the Babylonian lions, they said they were bred for ferocity. They take the most fierce male lion, the most fierce female lion, they would breed them, and then they would keep them in a near state of starvation so that the if people were thrown in there, they were absolutely torn to peace. Once again, Daniel's thrown in and God shuts up the mouth of the lions. And another entire generation knows who the living God is. But the one that I think is most relevant for this generation today is the prophet Ezekiel. See, Ezekiel says twice in the book of Ezekiel, he says, we're to go to those who are lost in sin. We're to warn them about their sin. If we do not go to them and we do not warn them and they die in their sin, God will require their blood on our head. Guys, we're living in a time in our nation where there is a great lie that's being perpetrated to our nation and especially from this current administration. One of the things that they are telling people is that the Christian church has greatly persecuted the homosexual, transgender people. The truth of the matter is it's a great lie. Has there been some persecution or some people that have been cruel? I'm sure there have. There always is. But by and large, it's not true at all. The truth of the matter is the church didn't care. We didn't warn them. We didn't tell them that if they died in their sin, That they would not inherit the kingdom of God. We did not want to be bothered with it. And see, this is a great lie that's going across our nation. In my own personal walk with the Lord, I have led 10 homosexual women to Christ. Not a single man, but 10 women. And one of the things that I always share with the ladies, I said, I want you to hear me out, first of all. I don't hate you. I don't even know who you are. So why would I hate you? I don't even know who you are. I said, I have a responsibility to share this with you because Romans chapter 1 says that if you practice this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you reject it, we're done. I'll pray for you, but we're done. We're over with. And see, but I share with them, I'll say, you will tell me that you were born this way. But the problem with that argument is that the pedophile will say he was born this way. The serial killer will say he was born this way. The young man that wants to sleep with every girl that he can will say he was born this way. Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. You must be born out of a life of sin into a life of Christ. You know, guys, I lied about my age when I was in the 10th grade and joined the United States Marine Corps. I volunteered for combat duty in Vietnam, and I was a pretty highly trained soldier. I was deployed to the amphibious raider battalion. I trained at the Navy SEAL base, the Army Ranger base. And uh, we had a lot of our own specialized training. I was also a competitive shooter for the military. I used to shoot battalion and division matches. I was a PMI, which is a primary marksmanship instructor. And I remember my coach came to me one time and he said, Wes, you are so good with weapons, I think you could shoot the Olympics. And I told him, I don't want to shoot the Olympics. I just want to shoot other people. You know, I didn't have any (laughs) desire to be an Olympian. I wanted to go to war. And when the war in Vietnam ended before I got, could get over there, I was going to get out of the Marine Corps and go to Rhodesia and become a soldier of fortune. Fortunately, Christ would get a hold of my life, guys, and it would change everything about me. And the reason that we share God's love with people is because we don't want them to die without Christ. We don't want them to go to hell. That is the reason. The Bible says it's the love of God that compels people under repentance. They're supposed to see Christ in us. And the way we do that is by loving people into the kingdom. You know, guys, when King David is dying, he's talking to his son Solomon. And I've seen a lot of men die in my life. We have now lost 71 of our staff have been killed in the war in southern Sudan. Most of them have been by the bullet. But when men are dying, they always say one of two things. If they're married, they say, tell my wife I loved her. If they're not married, they say, tell my mother I love her. That's almost the same thing they say every single time. But what does King David say to Solomon? He said, Solomon, be strong, and therefore prove yourself to be a man. And what the Bible is really talking about is spiritual strength. Now, physical strength does have something to do with it, but it really, guys, is more spiritual strength is what the Lord is talking about. I'm going to share something with you guys, and please understand, the reason I'm sharing this I do not mean it to be a boast. I'm just trying to make a very strong biblical point for you. But about 12 years ago, I broke a weightlifting record in a gym, and I did not know that I had done it. I've always had very strong legs. And I was in the gym, and I was doing, uh, I was on the leg press, and I was doing reps of 10. I'd do either three or four sets of 10. And the owner of the gym was a Christian brother by the name of Gus. He had actually placed number two in one of these Mr. California contests. And he walked over and he goes, Wes, how much weight do you have on that thing? I said, 1,875 pounds. He goes, brother, how much can you lift? I said, I don't know, Gus. I never tried. He goes, you want to find out? I said, sure. Well, we ran out of weight somewhere around 2,500 pounds. And he goes, how much more do you think you could lift? I said, Gus, I don't know, maybe, maybe another 500. I don't know. He goes, brother, I can't even get the 1875 off the thing. He goes, you broke the record for this gym in 1875. Now, my point in sharing this with you guys, I try to get in the gym at least once every 10 or 12 years. So (laughs) about two months ago, I went to the gym again. And I'm in there, and I get on the leg press, and I'm pushing it up, and I'm having a hard time getting 500 pounds off the thing. Now, I know if I go in there, I can work at it, guys. I can get the weight up considerable more, but I'll never reach what where I used to be. Why? Age is taking over. And no matter how strong you are as an individual, physical strength will fade, but spiritual strength doesn't fade. We see one of the reasons that Jeremiah was so strong in his walk with the Lord. In chapter 15, in verse 16, he tells us about his walk with the Lord, and he says, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of brothers, I never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was heavy upon me. And guys, in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, Jeremiah gives us a glimpse into his life. It does not read very well in the King James Version, but it reads really well in the New International Version, and he says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his footsteps. Guys, what it means is that our lives don't belong to us. They're supposed to belong to the Lord. We're supposed to be a people that are set aside for the gospel. Now, in sharing this with you, we are supposed to be defined by our Christian walk with the Lord, by the way that we live our lives. Now, guys, when the war in Ukraine broke out with Russia, I actually prayed and said, Lord, do you really want us to get involved in this war? I mean, I really did. I, I, said we're in four other wars now. We had 40 pastors in the Ukraine, but I felt like we had four other wars and let somebody else handle this one. But the Lord spoke to me in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. It says, "If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength?" Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say that we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? See, God knows our hearts. And he says, rescue those that are being led away to death. Rescue those that are staggering towards slaughter. And guys, it's so important as believers that we realize that as Christian men, we are supposed to be strong. We're supposed to protect those that do not have the ability to protect themselves. You know, guys, uh, I flew to Amsterdam uh, on April 4th. On April 6th, I had a dream, and it was a dream. I have walked with the Lord for 46 years, and once I came to Christ, guys, I never went back to the world. There was nothing I ever wanted. In my 46 years of walking with Christ, I've only had three other dreams that I felt like were from the Lord. But in the dream, I was looking for a Christian pastor that had gone missing in the Ukraine. Billy Ruffledge was the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Hatteras Island. And Billy's really a very determined and a very tough man, guys. And to give you an idea of how tough he is, he has cancer. He used to be six foot four, but because of the cancer right now, he's five foot eight. That's how much it's eaten his body. But he goes to all these really difficult parts of the world to preach the gospel, and he was in the Ukraine. When my dream, he was missing, and I was looking for him. And I got to a certain city, and I asked for him. They said, he's not here. But they said, but there's a sniper here, and he's killing a lot of civilians. And I said, well, guys, I used to be a professional shooter. I'll deal with this. And in my dream, I did. I shot the guy. And I continued looking for Billy. But people started calling me every time there was a sniper that was killing people. Finally, I got to a certain city, and I asked for Billy, and they said he's not here, but they said there's a sniper in a high-rise building, and he's killing a lot of people. But we can't get to him, because every time we get close to the building, he shoots us. And I said, don't worry about it, guys. I know how to deal with this. I'll take care of it. I don't know why, but in the dream, I entered the building with another sniper. And guys, I knew exactly who he was. Since I woke up April 6th, I cannot remember who I was. I don't know why the Lord wanted me knowing the dream, but I have not been able to recall it since I woke up. And I said to the guy, I said, listen, we're going to clear this floor by floor. Now, I'm going to take the lead, but you need to be careful because if we go up the floor and we miss him, he's going to come up behind us and he'll smoke us. So you better be on the alert. And we started clearing it floor by floor. Well, I got up to the 18th floor and I rounded the corner and there was a big hallway and there was... Loose carpet and plastic sheeting on the floor, and it was moving. Well, my first thought was there's a sniper hiding under there, so I immediately raised my weapon to fire. But the Lord told me, don't shoot. Well, guys, I still think there's a sniper, so I slowly walked over to approach it. But I kept my weapon trained on it because I thought there's got to be a sniper under this thing. And I reached down, and I pulled back the carpet. And under it were four little boys, all between the age of two and five years old. And they were so afraid. And I looked at those boys. I said, where are your parents? They go, we don't know. And I go, do you boys want to come home and live with me? Well, guys in the dream, they all got up. They came and put their arms around my legs and started to hug me. And I woke up. It was 4.30 in the morning. And I had tears coming out of my eyes. I have never, to my knowledge in my life, ever woken up with tears in my eyes. Matter of fact, I don't think I've cried in over 40 years. My wife, Vicki, has never seen tears coming out of my eyes. She was shocked. She had got up at 3.30. She was studying. And she came over and she goes, honey, what is going on? I've never seen you cry before. And uh, guys, the last time I cried was 40 years ago. I was in California and I went to an In-N-Out hamburger. And when I left, there was an extra cheeseburger in the bag. (laughs) And I still get a little emotional when I think about it. But, you know, I, I reiterated the the dream to Vicky and I said, honey, I don't know what this means, but I felt like it has spiritual significance. Well, God gave us an interpretation through two godly men. And guys, all over the Ukraine, parents left their homes to go get firewood, food, water. And they just didn't come back. We purchased two new orphanages while we're over there. But there are many children that do not have parents anymore. The elderly in the Ukraine are committing suicide. And the reason they're doing it is they've lost their home. When they got their pension, a good pension in the Ukraine is $190 a month. That's considered a very good pension. Most people, it's about 100 to 150. Well, they're not getting their pension. They don't know how to survive. They're killing themselves. We are, since about the second month of the war, we've been feeding 15,000 people a month. We're building 100 homes. We've got about 70 of them done. And we're training the Ukrainian chaplains right now. I've been to Ukraine twice in this last year. And the Lord has really called us to care for these people. We went to one city and we set up a bread line and literally a half a mile long to get one loaf of bread. We, had, uh, we started going door to door because we knew there were a lot of people that were disabled. We got to one place and there was a lady there and she had told us that she had planned on committing suicide that day. She said her first daughter had been killed in a car accident five or six years ago. But when the Russians invaded, her second daughter was in her apartment or her house, I don't know which it was, when a rocket hit it and it vaporized her. They could not find no traces of her daughter. And so she had decided to kill herself. Well, we shared Christ with her, and she gave her life to Christ that day, and she said, I won't kill myself. I know my girls knew God, and I believe that I will see them again. And guys, that's one of the reasons we go out into the world is to share the great hope and the great love of Jesus Christ. I really believe that a lot of people have lost the right reason of why we share the gospel. because there are many pastors and many missionaries today. they're not building God's kingdom, they're building their kingdom. I see missionaries all the time. They go into the mission field. They're out there for one year, and they write a book about their great exploits on the mission field. Guys, it's always self-published. And between the few they give to their family and the ones they sell, they have a distribution of about 75. Why? It's not a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the flesh. When Brother Andrew came out with his book about 50 years ago, and probably a lot of you don't know that name, but I remembered I was a new believer. It was called God's Smuggler. It was a man who was smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. Guys, it sold in the tens of millions of copies. Why? Because it was a work of the Holy Spirit. In my own personal life, I have had probably 20 people try to get me to write a book. And I believe some with great motivation. I had a Calvary pastor said, Wes, it will be the best mission book ever written, nobody has your stories, and I said, guys, if the Lord ever tells me to write a book, I will, but I feel like this is the book that the world needs, this is what's important here, guys, to share the love of Christ, you know, a lot of people say, I don't know what God's will is, well, guys, 98% of knowing God's will tells you right here, it says, go to the poor, the needies, those hungry, those in prison, those that are sick, it tells us exactly what we're supposed to do with our life. I actually had a Hollywood producer come and spend, he literally spent 10 hours with me and my wife, and I was talking to Vicki. I said, I don't don't know how to get rid of this guy. He won't leave, you know. But he wanted to do a movie about my life, and he wanted to make me out to be this Rambo for Africa or something. And I told the guy no. And he said, Wes, I'm giving you what everybody dreams of. I said, everybody that's carnal. The Bible says that no flesh shall glory in the presence of God. Guys, we need to be careful because God judges your motivations of why you do things. Are you doing it for fame and fortune? Are you doing it so that the ladies like you are popular among the men? What is the purpose of your heart? We need to have a pure heart when we do this. Now, guys, I I need to take a turn here, and please understand why we just have so much going on. I, I can't get through it all. We have a work in Central... In South America. The cartels down there have found that they can make a tremendous amount of money by selling children into the sex trade. We have an orphanage down there. In my orphanage, I have a three-year-old that needs reconstructive surgery because up to six to ten men a day were using her, both in the front and the back. I have a nine-year-old that told us that when she was six or seven years old, Her father started bringing five to six men a night, and they would watch her shower, and then each man would take his turn with her. And this child told us, she said, they would sodomize her so hard that she would pass out. And you think that they would realize, what am I doing? But what would they do? They would splash her with water and wake her up so the next man could have his turn. I have a five-year-old that has syphilis. We have... A half a dozen kids that need reconstructive surgery, guys, because of all the abuse to their body. The director of our orphanage, his codename is Gabriel. We don't reveal his name because it's very dangerous. We're in a war with a cartel right now, guys. Well, Gabriel got a call from a senator in that country, and at first it seemed like a dream come true. He said, hey, I've heard about your work. You're doing a great work. Love what you're doing with the children. I can give you all the money you want, and I can give you protection. And Gabriel thought, wow, this is great. And then he said, all I'm going to need is you're going to have to give me two little girls a year. And Gabriel goes, what? And he goes, oh, they're not for me. I have a friend who has weird taste. And Gabriel said, absolutely not. Now, guys, the only reason I found out about this, Gabriel didn't call me. He was calling everybody else. I have my guys keep up on our projects. Well, the senator said to him, he goes, I can make life really rough for you. And he did. Four days later, Child Social Services came in and took 14 of our kids. Within the Social Services, there's good people and there's bad people. There's people that are on the payroll of the cartels. And uh, some of them were trying to transfer the kids across the country because they knew if they could get them transferred, we'd never find them again. We sent four people to stay with them, and So, Edward Amaya, who runs Ghost Operations, came in to tell me about this, and I called Gabriel, I said, Gabriel, what's going on? And he says, he goes, well, we have a law on our land, and we have to have a certain amount of money to keep so many kids. He goes, nobody in the country does this, but they're using it against us. The people of social services, I believe, actually got very convicted, because we had a seven-year-old little girl and an eight-year-old little girl that they took. When they took them, one went into one room and one went into the other room separately and both tried to hang themselves. And social services caught them. And when they caught them, they were just, couldn't understand why a child could do that. And they asked the children, why would you do this to yourself? And they go, we cannot go back to this life. Luke called me up, guys, and Luke's been in every kind of, criminal situation in the world. I mean, Luke's been on Black Ops all over the world. He's worked with Delta. He's worked with SEALS. He's worked with Force Recon. He's been in every kind of operation in the world. He's dealt with human trafficking. He's dealt with people selling body parts. And he called me one day and he goes, Wes, I thought I had seen it all. And I could tell he was troubled. I go, brother, what's going on? He said, we were taken to a raid by the police. We got there too late. There were two toddlers on a table. The bodies were still warm. They had been filleted open, and their internal organs were missing. Now, guys, the crazy part, they're not selling them to people that has like a failing liver. Superstitious people are eating them because they think it brings them long life. One of the things that we need to understand is that when the laws of man break down, When our country starts to pass laws that are wicked and corrupt, we have to adhere to a higher law, which is God's law. And we're gonna protect these children, guys, and it doesn't matter if we have to go to guns, we'll go to guns. But we will not let them take these children. I had a situation down in Mexico in Ensenada. We had an orphanage down there. And guys, this orphanage was for extremely handicapped kids but most of it was not handicapped from birth. It was from parental abuse. In our orphanage, we had one little girl by the name of Clara. We got her when she was three. Her father had been raping her from the time she was one year old. I have never seen a child so terrified in my entire life, not ever. I remember when I walked into the room, she would put her hand up and cover her face, and she would cry hysterically. And I'd go over there and I'd put my hand on her leg and she would settle down and begin to let you talk to her. But then when you got up to leave, she'd start crying again because she didn't know who was going to hurt her. We had another little girl that was extremely mentally retarded. And guys, we always knew that she was going to die young because she had a tongue that was seven times the size of a normal's tongue. One of the things that I did when we set up this orphanage, I put cameras in every room to make sure the children would never be abused. Now, if the children needed to be changed, we had a curtain where you could take the children behind to change them and clean them. You could see what was going on. You couldn't see the nudity of the body, but you knew that their diaper was being changed and they weren't being molested. Well, the seven-year-old, around one or two o'clock in the morning, just stopped breathing and went home to be with the Lord. The police came in and they did an inspection and at first it was all over with we showed them the video but there was a very wicked woman and she wanted to make a name for herself so she accused the director of murdering the children social service came in they took all the kids we didn't know where they were i didn't know where clara was and i was adamant about finding her just determined to find her and they were not released the information Well, it took a long time, but finally, thank God, a judge looked at the video, and I hope this lady got fired. I don't know what happened to her, but he greatly rebuked her. He said, why did you ever bring this case before me? You can see clearly that this child died of natural causes. Why did you? She couldn't answer them. I don't know what happened after that, guys. We still couldn't find Clara, but I couldn't let it go. And I told my staff, I said, We're not doing anything else until we find Clara. So you guys need to get out there and you keep looking. We're not gonna do any of the operation until I know where she is. It took us a while. Several months later, we finally found her. When we found her, the word was she was with her grandmother. And the word was the grandmother was a good woman. Because I knew if the grandmother was there and the daughter was there, that the father was probably gonna be there too. And I called up Luke. And I said, Luke, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go down there. And if the father's there, one of two things is going to happen. He's going to, he's going to leave, and he's never going to walk again. I'm going to snap his spine. I'm going to make sure he never abuses another kid. Or I'm going to send him to the other side. But I'm going to make sure that he never, ever touches his child again. Now, guys, Luke being in the FBI, I almost expected him to give me a rebuke but he just said, Roger that, brother. Let's go. And I forgot he was with me the first time we met Clara. He had seen the trauma of what the child had gone through. And one of the things we need to realize as believers is that when God's law is not being adhered to and the laws of the land are being used to perverse things, we are to listen to the higher law, which is God's law. And guys, a lot of Christians don't understand this. You know, people will come up to me and say, well, what about that scripture that says turn the other cheek? Well, turn the other cheek means take an offense for the gospel. It never means to let people rape women, rape children, to murder them, to sell their body parts. That's not what the scripture means. As men, we have a God-given right to protect women and children. Guys, we're going to show you a video real quick. And we want you to see this the the video. These are. This is our home in Central America. We want every one of these children has been abused. A couple of them, you're going to look into their eyes, and you're going to realize that they've seen things they weren't supposed to see. But this is what happens when the body of Christ gets involved. Let's go ahead and show that, guys.